4: What's Her Story with Sam and Amy presents our author snack series where we share the story of one author and one book in less time than it takes to finish your snack.
5: Megan Murphy is the editor-in-chief of Woman's Day magazine and the author of Your Fully Charged Life, a radically simple approach to having endless energy and filling every day with yay.
4: What made you write this book? It's
6: like a culmination probably of 25 years of using myself as a guinea pig and road-testing happiness strategies on myself to ultimately live in a way that's fully charged. But what actually lit the fire to put pen to paper and actually physically write the book was, was my dad's pancreatic cancer diagnosis. He was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer wasn't looking good, and I had gone to chemo with him one day. Um, and in that moment, I was like, Dad, I'm not giving up. I love you, but how do you want to remember be remembered? What do you want your legacy to be? And in asking him that, it also gave me pause to ask myself the same question. And when I did, I realized that I wanted to be remembered for a legacy of positive energy. because I'm somebody who started out uh, nicknamed Neggy. Had really tumultuous teen years, was hospitalized for an eating disorder. My best friend committed suicide. I struggled. And I have trained very hard to live with optimism and joy and grit and grace. And I knew the tools that work for me would work for other people. And I wanted to share those things.
5: Going back to earlier in your life, when you struggled with anorexia, when you lost your best friend, when you were a teenager. You've also said that you started life out as a grump.
6: Well, I'm, I'm inherently negative. My negativity bias and all of our negativity biases is strong, but I was programmed for negativity. I mean, I was glass half empty. Now I realize glass is refillable, but that took years and it was just my disposition. I had a loving home, a loving middle-class home, a really nice life, but everything was doom and gloom. It was just how I was wired. And it took work. It took a lot of work to actually retrain my brain and to learn to live differently. But I didn't have to work hard. And I don't have to work hard to be negative now, right? I mean, it's easy to slip into those habits because I am primarily
4: programmed for negativity, as are most of us. Right now, we hear so much about toxic positivity. Is that something you've been accused of? How do you manage those kind of naysayers?
6: I actually love the naysayers, right? I high-five the haters. Uh, it's part of my MO. But I do laugh about this, because, like, if you were to ask my neighbor from Ascot Lane, Paula Kraus, about Little Megan Buchan, I used to sit on the corner and stick my tongue out at people. Like, that's, that was a pastime. I would sit on the corner and stick my tongue out at anybody who drove by. So Paula Kraus has delighted In my transformation but is the first person to be like oh no 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 she was a pain in the ass she was a negative nasty little kid and so i laugh about it but i think the real distinction is and it's so important for people to understand is toxic positivity only looks on the bright side it's those bs platitudes like don't worry be happy you know good vibes only The truth is, it's good vibes mostly. And and it's having a toolkit to be able to recognize the stuff that sucks. Because there's a lot of stuff that sucks. Absolutely recognize it. Process it. But have a fully charged toolkit to handle it. And then move onward. That's the difference. There are mornings when I wake up and I don't want to get out of bed. I'm really struggling, right? There's so much negativity being blasted at me. The difference now is I understand there are things I can do to move the happiness needle. And I use those tools on a daily basis. I am absolutely not somebody who will ever, like, those platitudes kill me. Good vibes only is, like, the most disgusting phrase on the universe. Do not ignore those bad feelings. Express them. Share them. Get them out. But the key is onward.
5: What is the most important tool? To you,
6: So it's interesting. And I love this because the the tools I love when readers are like, this worked for me, that worked for me, because it's always surprising what works for other people. And you never really know what your secret sauce is going to be. I think one of the most important tools in my toolkit is gratitude. I believe having an attitude of gratitude, making a gratitude adjustment is one of the keys to life if you found a truly grateful person, that person would be happy. There's no such thing as a miserable, grateful person, because when you pause and appreciate the good in your life and the good in the world, you function differently. And so for me, it took me a while to actually adopt a gratitude practice, because when I looked at those traditional methods of practicing gratitude, like I can't keep a gratitude journal. Like that is homework. I have three kids. I, with math, that's like carry the one, I do enough homework, right? Like, I don't want anything that feels homeworky. And so I couldn't do it. And so I had to trick myself into adopting a gratitude practice. And it was truly transformational for me. And it goes back to my dad's pancreatic cancer diagnosis. It was a very pivotal transitional moment in my life where, again, I was like, I don't want to get out of bed. I know from the work of Dr. Martin Seligman and the PERMA Theory of Wellness that gratitude is something that if I can harness it, it's going to help me get out of bed and it's going to help me move through these really crappy times with grit and grace. And so I knew I had to adopt a gratitude practice, but I needed to hack it. I needed to, to fun filter it so that I would actually do it. And that's when I started something called Operation Good Grief, which was this active and conscious thing that every day I would look for something that didn't suck. And when I say didn't suck, because that's how it started. Like, I really didn't want to get out of bed. And I had three little kids and I knew I had to learn how to function. So it would be this process of like, what doesn't suck today? And it would be daffodils. Oh my God, the daffodils at the end of my little walk finally bloomed. Or it'd be a really killer workout tank that said, you're stronger than you think you are. That powered me through the day. I would take a picture of it. I would capture it. I would share it on social media because guess what? Sharing that, those good things makes them even stickier. And I kept that up for two years, even after my dad passed. And I began to more automatically see good things, not just things that didn't suck, but good things. And what I was really doing at my core was practicing gratitude and developing a gratitude practice. And when I moved through the darkest parts of my grief, I reframed it a bit. I started calling it finding the yay. And I started creating a yay list every day. And it was, what makes me say yay today? And I would find five, 10, 15 things because I was rewiring my brain for gratitude. And I adopted it with my kids. So when we sit at dinner every night, what made you say yay today? Before I tuck them in, got any more yays? Like what were your yays today? And it's a fun filtered, easy way to adopt a gratitude practice. And the scientific benefits of practicing gratitude, having a grateful heart are undeniable. I mean, it's everything from managing stress um, to having better health outcomes, being more likely to exercise and eat right. I mean, gratitude is legitimately the secret sauce. And I feel like we only talk about it at Thanksgiving, right? But like, gratitude is important. And I think it's the greatest tool in my toolkit. And I'm very proud and grateful to practice it with so much ease right now.
4: What is the trick, obviously, in your own home? Like, you have three kids, three different personalities, I imagine. When you see glimpses of Megan's childhood personality in any of them in terms of the negativity or the grumpiness, how do you manage that?
6: It's interesting because I think my youngest son is totally a grump. So we do the, okay, you can tell me something bad, but you have to tell me two good things first. And so... He's still actively looking for good things to share with me because he knows he can't complain and he can't share the hassles until he at least gives me two good things. And so he's, he's learned, it's funny because I've seen this transformation. So he is still, he's allowed to see the crap, but we're sandwiching it with the good stuff. And so he's actively finding that good stuff. You know, and listen, my daughter rolls her eyes at me, but this has been the way they've grown up. So as much as she rolls her eyes at me, when I get a glimpse of her doing something with her friends where she's she's like, "Okay, well that makes me say yay," or she's she's doing uh, parodying or echoing a little bit about what we do at home, I'm like, "Ha ha." I don't point it out, but I'm like, "Yes, Mom win. Do you do this with your friends?" You know, it's funny. My husband is like, there doesn't always have to be a life lesson. You don't always have to coach everybody. You don't always, you know, like have to have these deep and meaningful interactions, but I can't always help it. And I think the funny thing is good energy is so contagious. And so I do approach life with so much optimism and joy that I bring that out of people naturally. It's not that we don't also have, you know, a cry session or a bitch fast, but but it always comes full circle. Where it's like, okay, but not everything sucks. Let's talk about your good hair day, right?
0: And now, a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day.
1: We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is
2: sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank. Members of DIC, terms and conditions apply. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes,
3: I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it.
6: i
2: never seen a man
3: Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Did your husband
4: know you before the transformation or only post-transformation? No. So
6: my husband is my brother's best friend. So we've known each other since second grade, but I'm four years older. So growing up, it was like, ew, I'm in eighth grade and you're in fourth grade. Clearly, we're not making out. You know, I'm a senior. You're a freshman in, in high school. Gross. We even went to the same college and my brother and him lived across the street. We didn't get together and I had set him up like I would be he's the best guy. I would try to like find him a date. It wasn't until we were both living in Hoboken years later And my brother would have us over for Sunday dinner that I was like, ooh, we were reading the same book. He was reading A little Million Little Pieces by James Fry and I was reading the same book. And I was like, he reads? He's like hot, (laughs) tall, kind, and he reads? It was like, I was like swooning. And I called my sister. I remember like leaving my brothers and like, Pat Murphy reads. And she was like, okay, get it together. Don't you dare. That's Kevin's best friend. And then the next dinner, he also used a lot of salt and I did never want it to be judged for my salt intake and I have low blood pressure, so suck it. But he also used a lot of salt and I realized I would never be judged for my salt intake and I was smitten. (laughs) I was absolutely smitten. And ultimately we like were out to dinner with my brother and a bunch of their friends and I put my hand on his thigh under the table and that was it.
4: Oh my goodness! That is super gutsy. Well, Sam, I was a
6: Cosmo editor for four years, or you, lest you forget, <laughs> Helen Gurley Brown and Kate White—they taught me well.
5: What did he do when you put your hand on his thigh?
6: Green light, go. We were like making out in an ATM machine, like an hour later. <laughs> but then we secretly dated because we didn't want. Basically, I was like, listen. I am a former Cosmo girl, like marriage and babies is not really on my horizon. Like, let's just make sure we really like each other before Kevin, my brother, like loses his shit. So we secretly dated, which made it even hotter, right? Like we would rendezvous. It was like, and it was like that early dating where you like stay up till three o'clock in the morning. Like it was, I was done. I knew I was done.
4: How did Kevin react?
6: It was awful. I can remember somebody saw us making out. Because it was like 20 years of buildup, right? I was like, oh my God, I love this guy. And so my brother didn't find out from us, which made it worse. And my brother was like, there's no good outcome to this unless you get married and have three kids. Ultimately, he was the best man, and his speech was hilarious because it's exactly what happened. How old were you at the time? 29. And I had been through like maybe 15, 20 boyfriends. I mean, like, it was not. It was not. <laughs> I can just remember my my father's relief, like when he proposed. My dad was like, "Okay, oh," because my family loves Pat. I mean, like he's been a part of our family since I was a little kid. So it was it was pretty magic when it all kind of worked out. I feel very lucky. So
4: you're unusual for the authors we interview because you have a very full time day job as the editor in chief of Women's Day Magazine. How do you manage that? And, and was there ever a conflict between, okay, this is my separate life as an author and here's my life as editor in chief?
6: So the, I guess the interesting part of all of it is like, so I took over, I was the see, executive editor of Good Housekeeping for six or seven years. I took over Woman's Day in March, 2020, March 12th, 2020, lockdown. So I never did the job in person. Like, I've never been in an office with my team. I never did the job in person. My book was due April 2020. So we go on lockdown. I am revamping, re-energizing a magazine, finishing a book, and now homeschooling three kids. It's one of those moments where I look back and think, pretty sure I don't know how that happened. Like, I actually don't know how I did it. It was insane. I guess I'm I'm good in I always say I I must just be good in crisis cuz it's like okay, it's go time. No stewing, just doing. It's go time. Got it all done and the magazine's been very successful under my watch. So I've never really said like, "Can I do both?" or "How do you do both?"
4: I just do it. You talk a lot about in-person connection and the value of that. How have you managed to handle your team remotely this entire time and gain the respect necessary as the as the chief.
6: You know, I think we we've been very effective virtually. I I think it's gonna almost be like strange to finally like be together all the time. You know, but when we did so we we do go back on some Mondays and, and Tuesdays and when we have been in person, like we've had a really fun lunch and a brainstorm and like come up with some pretty kooky ideas that we probably wouldn't have come up with otherwise. So I think I have the luxury of having been very established in my career at this point of lockdown. I feel for young people in their career. Like I don't need to network. I've been networking for 25 years. I know everybody and I and I have wonderful connections. I feel for the young people, the young assistants, the young editors because I don't know how you do what I've done for 25 years
5: completely virtually. How do you bring the tools from the book into the workplace?
6: I think a big thing that I'm proud of is that I fun filter life. And I think I fun filter work for my team. My One of my art people said the most amazing thing to me the other day, and it was I've never had so much fun on the job. And I was like, oh, my God, heart exploding, because that's my goal. I feel very strongly that what we're doing doesn't actually matter, right? Like, we can do it differently tomorrow. We can do it differently next week. We can do it differently next month. Let's do the best we can right here, right now, and be proud of it. But let's not stress it. Let's not angst it. Let's not overthink it. Let's just have fun. Because if we're having fun, the audience is going to have fun with us.
4: How do you handle a negative coworker or colleague? Energy begets energy. Nobody
6: brings that to my table. And I'm really proud of that. And the same thing, like even people always say, oh, social media, is so this or it's so that. I don't find that. Nobody is bringing that negative energy to me because they know I I won't put up with it. I don't want it. I shut it down. I I have like this force field and, and I don't want to deal with that. Now, that's not to say we can't have conflict and we can't have discussions and we can't have disagreements. But you have to approach all of those disagreements and those discussions with a positive attitude, with optimism that we're going to find a solution that we're all really excited about. Should we go to our speed round now? Who leaves
5: you starstruck?
6: You know who it would be? Like it would probably be like the CEO of Hearst, right? It would probably be somebody in like a like a very big executive position versus like somebody who's on television or has like a movie.
4: You have talked a lot about the importance of a morning routine. Let's hear yours.
6: So I'm an early riser. Um, I am like the ultimate morning person. Like I like jump out of bed. I kind of bolt out of bed. I do a, usually a very early morning workout, whether it's like a 6am. It used to be like five fifteen, five forty five. Now I can kind of do a 6am or a 6.15. I love dance cardio at AKT and I love SLT, which is like Pilates on crack. Like I love my morning workouts. I am a crazy person about bed making. I really find such peace out of having all the beds made. And I am that mom. I make my kids beds. I can't help it because it just makes me feel like I've accomplished this one thing first thing in the morning and it's going to set the tone for a really awesome day. So lots of bed making And now that I'm not rushing into the city, it's then I can do, I buy myself flowers every Monday morning, and I'm I'm flower arranging, I'm drinking coffee. I love putzing around my house now. It's like, I just love it. I love it. When
4: kids leave and it's quiet, oh my gosh, it's like a gift. What is the next book you'll write?
6: My agent is really on me about getting the proposal done, but I am working on... A fully charged life hack almanac.
5: What book are you reading?
6: I just finished. Okay, so my friend John Searles, who I um, who I worked with at Cosmo, he's a phenomenal writer. He's a New York Times bestselling author, but his new book is called *Her Last Affair*, and it's really good. His other his other books have like been made into movies, et cetera. Like he's amazing. And it was one of those books, like I started it on vacation and I got through most of it. And then, of course, you come home and you come to real life. And on Mother's Day, all I wanted to do was be left alone for an hour and a half to finish my book. And I did. And I was so happy.
4: Amy, did I catch a slight eye roll with the word yay? So you
5: did. But I have to say something. There's such a positivity around the way that Megan described it that have overcome my hesitation of the word yay. And, and like it's like, well, but here's the thing. It's a really simple thing to be like, what is your yay, right? Like what are yay things that happened to you today? And it's something that you can use with your kids, right? Like it's just quick and it's good and it's easy and I should stop being snobby about it.
4: You know what I love about Megan is like I, I share a very similar philosophy with her in the sense that like she's not Pollyanna-ish she's not saying there are no bad moments. She's not saying everything is going to always be great. She's very realistic about it. And it's like, things will mostly be good. So like, let's focus on those things and let's have gratitude. So I really appreciate a lot of what she said. The way Megan and I first met was um, when Good Housekeeping hosted my book party, which was six years ago. She was an editor there and she just stood out to me then. She just had a spark to her and – in reading her book, there's so much more depth to her than I even ever understood. I could never
5: fathom Megan being a grumpy person.
4: It's wild. And also, you know, it, it reading about her teen years and what a struggle they were, it makes you realize that, like, you know, everything is, is changeable. You can always change the course of your life or your mindset or your circumstances. And I really recommend reading the book. If you enjoy What's Her Story with Sam and Amy, please do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts and do let us know what you think of the author snack series by commenting on Instagram at what's her story podcast.